Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. I'm not strange. I'm just normal. In the Old Testament, God revealed his name in the book of Exodus as I am. Remember when Moses, you may not remember the story, so let me just quickly refresh you. Moses was wandering around in the desert, not doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was tending sheep, and he had fled from Egypt, and God was saying, you need to get back there and deliver those people. And this conversation was happening uh, between Moses and God, and God was in this bush that was on fire that not, did not get consumed. And Moses had a, a number of arguments as to why he shouldn't do that, he stuttered, and what if they don't believe me? He had a whole list of arguments as to why he shouldn't or couldn't, and God obviously had a rebuttal, right? God, when, when Moses said, I, I, I stutter, which was one of his excuses, God did, certainly didn't go, oh, that's right, you do. You know, I picked the wrong person, sorry. No, God knows, when he picks you, he knows all your shortcomings, Right? And so uh, he finally says, well, then who am I going to say sent, sent me? He just said, say I am. I am that I am. And there's not a good Jew on the face of the earth that doesn't know that, um, all the way back to the book of Exodus. And so I told my, my wife, we're, my, we're talking this morning, I'm like, you know, I actually have three sermons to preach today, so I, 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 uh, we'll start with the first one. And we'll just see how far we get. I want to talk a few minutes and set some background for you vis-a-vis a a sermon that you've probably heard before in your life. And so I don't want you to tune out to what I'm about to say. But I want you to lean in because at the end I'm going to give you a little twist that, that hopefully you can add to your theological arsenal and your understanding of who God is so that you, that you feel um, as though God is with you, God understands you, and that he loves you, okay? So we're going to have a little bit of recap. We're going to have a little bit of theology, which is fun. Theo, God, ology, the science of knowing. So we're going to have a little bit of, of knowing God, some dig in there, and then we're going to have a fun twist at the end. All right, we ready for that? Yeah. Okay, you voted yes. <laughs> So the I am's are in the book of John. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of John. There's seven of them. Um, when, when, when Jesus said of himself, I am, he was, he was saying discreetly, hey, I am that I am from the book of Exodus. Now, you never may not, you, I, I sense there's a continuum of understanding. So some of you are going like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, I got it. That's why I forewarned you, you got to stay with me. Everybody stay in the van. Get your seatbelts on. We're going to get to Disney World, but we have to go through Illinois to get there. Hmm. Okay? All right. So, so there are seven, say seven. There are seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. We're going to review those quickly uh, for your uh, background knowledge, all right? The, the, the first, talking about being, Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, uh, it's in John 6, 35, 41, 48, 51. Rose, I may or may not get to all of these verses, I'll, I'll let you know, okay? But, but bread was a big deal 
right? They didn't have McDonald's. They didn't have Arby's. They didn't have Taco Bell. You, when you were at home, you cooked bread. Bread is bread. So important, there was an offering called the grain offering, and so important that it was placed on the altar in the holy place, seven loaves, to remind you about God. This is how important and how Jesus fed 5,000 people with bread. Then there were 12 baskets left over. He broke bread on the night in which he was betrayed. Bread is a big deal. And so when he says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, that's a big deal. John 6, 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Ooh, what's he saying? I am the bread that came, what's he referring to? The manna that kept the Israelites alive? Uh-huh. John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Six forty nine. here it is. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here, and he's speaking of himself, the I am. I am the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the bread of life. He said all of that right after he had just said fed 5,000 people. The second is, I am the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Imagine a world, stop for a second, where there are no light bulbs. We would be sitting in complete darkness right now. Complete darkness. You wouldn't have the little glow from your phone or your watch. When it was dark, it was dark. Nobody turned the lights on. You had an oil lamp. But when Jesus steps up and says, I am the light, of the world, that's significant because of the next verse. In the next verse, John 9, 6, having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eye. He said, I'm the light of the world, and then he reached down and he grabbed some dirt. I always wondered about that dirt. I'm glad, I'm glad there isn't a Bit in mud ministry anywhere, you know. I just, I just, just don't know that that would be a long line for that. But, but Jesus did, right? He reached down, he grabbed some dirt, and 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 I heard a preacher once, many many years ago. It's always stuck with me. The reason he supposed that he picked up a handful of dirt is because man is made from the dust of the earth, and he created a new eyeball in his hand and put it in his eye. I am. I am the light bulb. <laughs> I am the light of the world. Number three, I'm the gate or the door. I am, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you, John 10, 7, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, in a culture where there were gates everywhere that you kept sheep in, this was an important thing. In John 10, 9, a couple verses later, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You'll come in, you'll go out and find pasture. What's significant about that? Sheep don't open gates. Who opens gates? Shepherds open gates. So he's presupposing your little, my little devious little mind that says, well, then I'll just sneak in. I'll climb over. I will get to him by some other way, said another religion. I'm not going to go through his way. I'm not going to go through him, him, him saying exclusively, I am the gate. In fact, I'm going to just go in another way. 
He, he knew he would go there because in John 10, 1, the next verse he says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by his own means, by some other way, he's a thief, he's a robber. Mm, got me. The bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, number four, the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd in John 10, 11. Remember the thief comes to kill, seal, and destroy? Uh, but I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm not a hireling. He says, wolves come to eat the sheep, but because I'm a good shepherd, I'm not going to run because I'm here for a paycheck. I will stay and I will tow the line and I will fight. The, I will fight. I will fight for you. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Both times he says, I'm the good shepherd. Do you know what that means? Literally, linguistically, that means there are such things, or I'm the good shepherd. There are such things as bad shepherds. He made a modifier to this idea of shepherding. He's referring obviously back to uh, the Lord is my shepherd in, in uh, Matthew, uh, Psalm 23. All the good Jews knew that, right? David had written that Psalm hundreds of years before. But now I am the good shepherd because there were shepherds afoot in the day that weren't good shepherds. They were called Pharisees and Sadducees, touted themselves as leaders and actually were making them twice the son of hell. That's what Jesus called them. For there will come a time in 2 Timothy 4.3 when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they'll suit their own desires. They'll gather around themselves a great number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. I heard a very disturbing comment last week from a pastor who was like, you know, this whole Roe versus Wade thing, you know, let's just not fight about it. It's all good. Whatever you decide is good for you. I'm like, What? Well, I know what my beliefs are, but then, you know, whatever you believe is, I'm like, well, I believe that murder is wrong. So if you were murdering your child on the front lawn of your yard, should I have an opinion about that? Yeah. See what I mean? It's twisted. So you got it. Listen, I totally get this. And you need to get to this point too. You, as my wife so eloquently said last week with her ministry of truth sermon, and I highly recommend listening to it, is that there comes a time when you have to take a stand for the truth and just let the chips fall where they may. Somebody's not going to like you all the time. You may as well stand for who you are. Get a backbone where your wishbone is and stand up, stand up for Jesus. So he says, I'm the good shepherd. Now, I was interested in this word good, so I, I, I looked it up in the Greek, and I'm not going to bore you with all that. But there are other meanings for this word good that could have equally been the definition when he said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the valuable shepherd. I'm the virtuous, honest, fair, worthy. I like this one. I'm the beautiful shepherd. I like that. I like that translation. But, but ultimately, literally and figuratively, it means he is morally good. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd. Number five, I'm the resurrection and the life. When did he say this? Right when he was talking to, right before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was in a conversation with Martha, Mary and Martha. And he says, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, do you believe, King James, because I'm here. Do you believe thou this? She says, I believeth. I'm glad she said that. No, nah, I don't think so. No. 
In John chapter 11, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet will he live. In Revelation 1.18, it says he holds the keys of death and the grave. Not only is there resurrection and the life, he holds the keys to death and the grave. That's pretty much everything, don't you think? So he's the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. And number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says this at the Last Supper. When he says, hey, I'm going to go away. But where I'm going, you can come. Thomas, Thomas, what do you mean? What do you mean you're going away? I don't even, how can I even find you if you went away? Jesus says, well, take heart. I am the way. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I return, you can come and be there also. How do I get there? Well, I am the way, he says. I am the truth and I am the life. This is John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except, except, look at that word, underline it, look at it closely, except through me. This is such a burr under the saddle of those who think Jesus is just one of the ways. I want you to be, I want you to understand clearly what Jesus is saying. Exclusively, the exclusivity that Jesus is saying that he is. I'm not a way, I am the way. I'm not one of the truths, I am the holder of all truth. And I'm not life. No, I promise you abundant life. Not just life, but abundant life. Now, I am a, I'm a, back in school when you took tests, right? They were introduced to me during my grade school years, and they were horrible. They were called Scantron tests. Do they still use these things called Scantron tests, right? Where you have like A and then a parentheses, B parentheses, C parentheses, D parentheses, E, whatever. And then you had to color in with a, with a number two pencil. That's my answer. I hated those. You know why? Because you could not turn a C into a B. You know, I'm not, Grade your own paper. That C could be a D. That C could be a B. If you tried hard, you could make it into an A with a rounded top. Not, not you. I'm talking about me. Not you. You would never do anything like that. That's where Scan, Scantron messed us over. Right? Why? Because those answers are exclusive. You can't turn a B into a C. You can't turn a C into an A. Well, 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 what I really meant to say, no, you circled in with a dark number two, D. You're wrong. (laughs) This is how it is on Judgment Day. You don't get a do-over. You have to determine here and now who Jesus is to you. And you really have to think long and hard about that. And don't, don't take the word of your Baptist preacher or your charismatic preacher, or your mom or your grandma. You should find out for yourself who Jesus is. Because that's how you get into heaven. Any statement, let me also say this. When you stand at the pearly gate and God says, why should I let you in? Any sentence that starts with the word I should be excluded from your vocabulary. Because you did nothing. He did it all. He did it all. He went to the cross for me. Deserving of death, he took my death. 
He stood in my place. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He is exclusively the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, where am I? Seven. I am the true vine. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I like that. John 15, uh, 5, a couple verses later. I am the vine, you are the branches. Oh, remember that song from, from Kids Church? Yeah? No? Do you remember? Some, you would go, he is the vine, and you'd like stand really strong and tall, like you're the vine. And then we are the branches, and then you got to be this really kind of crazy, stupid little, little uh, like, Karate Kid 2 thing, you know? <laughs> His banner over me is love. Okay. He is the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit apart from me. He can do nothing. That means you have to be grafted into the vine. And all the great things you can do here on earth, by the way, it's all wood, hay, and stubble if you're not grafted into the vine. You can feed the hungry, you can clothe the naked, you can visit people in prison and go to hell. You can take communion every time it's offered. You can be water baptized and go to hell if you're not grafted in to the vine. This is a heart condition. It has nothing to do with your outward appearance. You wear the right clothes, you sing the right songs, you go to the right church, you're politically correct in all the right ways. Listen, none of that means anything. Yes, we do some things, but those are byproducts of what God's done in my heart. Otherwise, you're just putting lipstick on a pig. Excuse the expression. This is all background information. I'm gonna preach sermon two here in just a second. You doing okay? Because we're still on sermon one. So, here we go. There are, that's the end of sermon one, here comes sermon two. Because everyone will tell you there are seven I am's, any preacher will tell you there's seven I am's in the, in, the, in the book of John. But there are, those are metaphors for who he is. Those are illustrations of who he is. They are uh, similes. They are ways to express the good shepherd, the gate, the open door, the bread of life. But he also has two I am's that are declarations, and I'm going to give you those. In John 8, 58, he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. Before Ab Underline the word was, because it's, it's important because of the, of the linguistics here. He was saying, Abraham was, but I am. That's what he was saying. How do I know that's what he was saying? The next verse, the Pharisees picked up stones to stone him. They knew exactly what he was saying. I am the I am. The second declaration is found in John 18, verse 4 and 5. I, this is my favorite. In verse number 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going on, asked him who uh, went out and asked them, who, uh, who is it that you want? Jesus is Nazareth, they replied. I am he. And the story goes like this. It's after 
uh, the Lord's Supper. It's after the final communion, uh, Passover meal. They go out to the garden. Jesus prays, but Judas has betrayed Jesus. So the Roman soldiers come and they come up. Judas gives Jesus a kiss on the cheek, identifying he's the one who is Jesus. He's the one who you guys want to arrest. Judas steps back, says, who it is that you're seeking for? And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I am he. Then something strange happened when Jesus said that. They drew back, look at the verse, they drew back and fell to the ground. Watch this. In the Greek language, that word he in your Bible is not there. That was put there by translators. You should circle it, put a line out to the, to the column of your Bible and say, not in the original language. Because what he actually said, which caused them to fall down as dead man, he says, who are you looking for? He says, I am. That's different than, hey, I'm he, here I am. I'm he. He said, I am. They fell down like dead men. Wow. Okay, I'm going to teach you something here today. I taught my wife this this morning because I asked her, I want to know if she knew, knew um, uh, what I was talking about. And she did not know. And I would venture to say most of you, even you, even you English people, you English professor people type, you people like to correct my tweets and my, and my, and my, my you, you know it's me that sent the message when there's a typo in it. I'm just telling you that. You just know, oh, Pastor Hanson's at it again. You know, there's a typo. If it's all spelled correctly, it's my daughter. If it's not spelled correctly, it's me. So watch this. Um, uh, in English, you have a period. You have a question mark, and you have an exclamation point. That's what you have to express yourself. Wrong. There is a fourth one your English teacher didn't tell you about. And I'm telling you the gospel truth, hand to heaven. You can Google, not now, but you can search me out later. Double check me. There is such a thing called an interbang. Interbang. Intera from the word interrogative, which is a question. Bang meaning bam. That is the symbol. It is a question mark and an exclamation point. It's in the dictionary. It's in the encyclopedia. It's in Google, so you know it's true. <laughs> no, it is, a tr- it is a true thing. It's also on your keyboards, too. If it's on your keyboard, you have to use a wingding to get there. But it is a thing, and it's a real thing. It's called an intera bang, interrogative, and then the bang. For example, when you would write a sentence, did you run over my dog? You would write, did you run over my dog, question mark, exclamation point. But when in fact you should write question mark with an exclamation point over the top of it. That's the correct way to do it. Now we all feel foolish because I didn't really know that either. Interabang. Why are we talking about this? Because now we're going to get close to sermon number three. We're doing well on time. An interabang. Let's talk about Jesus for a second. Jesus is an interabang. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. He's not 50% man and 50% God. This is theologically important for you. You may not know the significance of that at this point, but just file that away in your personal theology. That is, he's not part God and part man and, oh, that was the God part of him, that was the man part. No, he was 100% God all the time, 100% man all the time, 
he is an intrabang. I'll let you figure out what is God the exclamation point or the question mark? <laughs> I think we're the question mark, to be honest with you. I think humanity's the question mark and God's the exclamation point. But he has to be 100% man because the justice that God requires means that the human nature that sinned can't pay for its own sin. And 100% God, because you can't pay my debt, only a God can pay my debt. So in theology, there is a discipline called Christology, where we study the doctrine of Christ. And in Christology, there is a doctrine, there is a, uh, there is a, yeah, a doctrine, where we talk about hypostasis, or hypostasis. In theological terms, we call it the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union is the technical term for the interabang, theologically speaking. Let me say it all another way. When you talk about God being man and man being God in Jesus, the, the terminology you are toying with is the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union, by definition, is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. He is a biblical interabang for you and for me. Why is this important? Hang on. Jesus is God in the flesh. We know this. John 1, 1, 14, 10. I'll, I'll read them so the, those of that are listening or watching can jot them down or, or look them up later. John 1, 1, John 1, 14, John 10, 30, John 20, 28, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Hebrews 1, 8. Now that's, you just kind of glossed over. But that's important to me because I'm making a point and I'm substantiating with scripture. Okay? So he's not half God, he's not half man. He continued to exist as God when he became man. I have a chart. Do we have the chart, Rose? You're not going to be able to read all that, I don't think. But it's important to know that Jesus as God, that he is worshipped because he's God. But Jesus as man, he worshipped the Father. And all the, all the relating scriptures to the hypostatic union. Jesus as God, at the very bottom, all the fullness of the deity dwells in him, Colossians 2.9. But as man, he has a body and a flesh of bones, Luke 24.39. That's important to know because here comes the epilogue. Here comes the big twist. Here comes the big ta-da. We went through the seven I am's, the metaphors. We added two declarations, but I'm going to show you something that you've probably never seen about Jesus in the Gospel of John. There's three times he says, I am not. He says, I am, 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 I am. But there's a few things that I'm not. Here they are. Number one, this is, 100%, this is showing 100% uh, uh, man as well. In John 8, 16, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. In John 8, 23, he continued, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. So I am not alone, I am not of this world. And then a few verses later in John 8, all these are in John 8, John 8, 50, he says, I am not seeking glory for myself. These are for you and for me. 
I am not the bread of life. I am not the open door. I am not the way, the truth, and the life. But I am not alone. I am not of this world. I am not seeking glory for myself. Do you understand? The hypostatic union is speaking in the Gospel of John chapter 8 right here for you and me. I'm not alone. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I'm not alone. You ever feel alone? I feel alone sometimes. You know you can feel alone in a room full of people? In the middle of an auditorium with 300 people? In the middle of a stadium with 30,000 people? can feel all alone. But your feelings deceive you because you're never alone. Jesus said of himself, I'm never alone. That's for you and me. That's an I am for you and for me. These are our our I am's. I'm never alone. I'm never alone. Now that may scare some of you because you think what you're doing no one sees you do. And even for those of us that that walk with Christ, you have to be reminded sometimes when the pressures of the world come upon your shoulders and the job and the spouse and the kids and the money and the pressure and the politics, man, you're never alone, ever. God has never ever left you, even when you cussed at him and you flipped him off and you told him to leave you alone and you ran away from him, where can you go to escape the presence of God? To the depths of the earth? No. He is there. You're never alone. Somebody just let, let, let that sink in. Let that be on your shoulders like, like a nice warm blanket on a cold night. You're never alone. He's with you. The next one is, I'm not of this world. In 1 Peter 2.1 and 2.11, it says that we live here on this earth as foreigners, exiles, and aliens. I'm not strange. I'm just normal. What does a normal Christian look like? How does a normal Christian act? Well, in light of what the world's wants us to act, we're pretty darn strange. We're aliens. When you get a grasp of what heaven is, your heart starts to yearn for heaven. Particularly when people around you die who love Jesus and you're going to be with them again. Someone once said, every man and woman is born with two lives. They start the second one when they realize they only have one. What? When you realize we're foreigners here, we're aliens here, we're passing through, we don't belong here. You're not alone. You're not alone. I've never left you, never forsake you, but you don't belong here. Why are you trying to fit in? So much effort. So much effort.
Hebrews 13, 14 says, this world is not our home. There must not be anything you value more than heaven as your home. Not your home, not your car, not your house, not your job, not your education, not your pretty looks. What's, what's the most important thing to you? Heaven. Heaven is my home. I am a foreigner here. I do my best to muddle through life. We do our best to muddle through life, to realize the world will reject. Do you realize that you, when you became a Christian, you, you, you made yourself a target? And some of you don't like that. I don't like it, but it's the reality. You're going to get shot at. People are not going to like you. You have not been saved by the blood of the lamb to be liked. Love him with all your heart. And that's going to that's going to separate sheep and goats in your life. When you start pointing to that is the gate. Well, no, I think we can go through that one or we'll go through that one or we'll go through that one. Or we'll go, no, he is the way. In love, full of compassion. So these I am nots, uh, these are pretty, pretty substantial for us. Jesus rattles through his seven I ams and two more declarations of I am. But these I am nots, they're so powerful. I'm not alone. I'm not of this world. And number three, I'm not seeking glory. 1 Corinthians says in chapter 10, verse 31, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Remember this? One of the five solas of the Reformation from 1517. What does that mean? If we go through faith alone and grace alone and, and, and Christ alone. But at the end, whatever we do, soli deo gloria. We do whatever we do, we had best be doing it for the glory of God, not for your own glory. This is how Bach signed all of his, all of his music at the end. I'm not alone. I'm not of this world, and I'm certainly not in this for myself. R2, am not. R2, am not. What are we, third graders? <laughs> On the, you know, but that's how the devil comes at you. He'll play that game with you all day long, making accusations. You're really after this. You're, you're trying to, and no, I am not. I am not. I'm not in this for myself. And I'm not alone. You can tell me all day long, devil, you're alone. Nobody cares about you. Nobody knows the pain that you have. Nobody knows. And I'm, I'm talking about physical pain, too. I know that can be debilitating in your life, isn't it? Like if you just got a toothache or a hip ache or a whatever, something just, it, it, it can wear you down and you can just have the world's poorest attitude after a while because you deal with chronic pain. That's hard. The devil comes and starts lying to you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's watching after you. Nobody really understands. And you think, and he isolates you and he, he, he cordons you off and he puts you in a place that you think you're all alone and nobody knows. 
pastor doesn't care, the church doesn't care, the deacons don't care, the apostolic team doesn't care, my neighbors don't care, my wife doesn't care, my kids don't care. They may not. But you're never alone. Jesus loves you. He loves you when you lose your spouse, when you lose your kid, when you lose your job, when you lose your reputation, and you want to kill yourself. You want to cash it all in. You say, it's not worth it. It is. Jesus loves you. You are never alone, ever alone. And you don't feel like you fit in? Congratulations, because you're not of this world. You're not of this world. It's time for a conclusion. Are you ready for a conclusion? Okay, let's try this one. I want to show you uh, the cover of a Time Magazine article from 2016. It says, the, the article reads, it's dangerous to believe. And then in small print underneath that, it says, regular Christians are no longer welcome in American culture. This was a Time, a, a Time article from 2016. 2016. Christians are no longer welcome in mainstream America. If it was true then, I think it's perhaps even more true now. And I'm going to tell you, and I don't do this, I, I don't try to motivate by fear or, or any of that kind of stuff, but I need you to understand that probably, uh, this is not empirical evidence, but I'm going I'm I'm to hypothesize, 99% of the world's institutions are out to tear you and your family apart. Either directly or indirectly. They don't care about your family unit. They don't care about your marriage. They want, the, they want to line their pockets. They want to promote their agenda. They want to advance their kingdom. They want their country to be the best. For whatever, whatever it is, they don't give a care at all about you. They don't. This is why these three I am nots of Jesus are so important to us as believers. I am not alone. This is one of the powers of gathering together on a Sunday morning like we do. And to be honest with you, it, it, it doesn't happen online. And, and, I, and I love you online viewers, and you can't be here for whatever reason, physically, whatever, but golly gee, what happens in an environment like this when we're together? You just can't substitute that. And how do I know? Because there's a big difference between sitting at home and watching a fireplace on your television screen versus sitting in front of a fireplace. There's just a difference. So I'm not strange. I take comfort in that. Huh? I'm not strange. Look at the person next to you. You remind and say, I'm not strange. I'm, I'm not as strange as you think I am. I know you think I'm weird. I, but here's the deal. I'm just normal. I'm just normal. I'm not alone. I'm not of this world. Heaven is my home. And I'm not seeking glory for myself. When you stand before God at the end of your life, I hope that you would not have a single talent left and you could say I used everything he gave me 
for his glory. Would you stand up with me this morning, please? So this, this, these I am nots, uh, they've been impactful to me and I hope they're impactful for you because loneliness is a big deal. With as connected as we think we are, my notifications and my messages and, and all, people are dying of loneliness. Secondly, there's a sense of homelessness, a place of belonging that we all look for. This is why this I am not, the second one really ministers to me when the Lord reminds us all, I'm an alien. <laughs> I don't belong here. Yes, I, I have to drive on the streets that you do, and, but I'm looking for streets of gold. I live in a house that's built, but I'm looking for a house whose builder and architect is God. So there is a place for you to find habitation. It's not going to be in the Lions Club. It's not going to be in the Kiwanis. It's not going to be a Mary Kay rep. Those are all great things. I don't have, you know, go be a part of those clubs. But if that becomes your identity and not heaven, got to seriously contemplate is Jesus the only way is he the truth or isn't he so you're not alone heaven is your home and and you're going to do whatever it is that you're doing from now on for his glory not for yourself what does that do for you it brings purpose to your life because when you do things for you it's so hollow and so shallow. You know when you get tears in your eyes? It's when you do something for somebody else. You give somebody else a car. You bought a, I don't know if you ever cried when you bought a new car. If you did, you're weird. <laughs> but if you've ever given a car to somebody, like my wife and I have, and you cry tears, you go, what, what's going on inside of me? Why am I crying? It's because you have a purpose bigger than stuff. Gonna burn. You have a purpose. Soli Deo Gloria for His glory. Heaven is your home. You're an alien here. So, Father, we we just bow our hearts to you today, and we lift our hearts to you, and and we say, God, we are lonely at times, and we're needing to find connection with you. God, we need a place to call home, and not a an apartment or a house but heaven and the purpose that you've given us to serve others to love others to be kind to others to be patient with others our purpose Lord is to give you honor and glory by doing the things you've you've laid on our hearts to do to be kind and patient philanthropic thank you for being 100% God and 100% man for showing us the way for being the truth and the life. This is the moment we stand in your presence to say, I am not perfect. I am not perfect. 
but I still want to be with you. I still going to ask for your love and, and your forgiveness for not just the sin, even the perpetual sin that you stayed in for so long. But today you're saying, I'm breaking that off of my life. I don't want that in my life anymore. Would you join me with a hand raised to heaven and say, God, I'm, I'm going to do my best to honor you and to serve you with my life, with my family, with my job, with my income, with all that you, you give me, God. I want to say thank you. And I want you to wrap your arms around my heart today and remind me I'm not alone. That the feelings of being awkward and, and, and not into the in crowd fitting in, that's going to be okay because I'm just a foreigner here anyway. Because heaven is my home. This is our prayer today, God. Accept us, receive us, not because of anything we have done, but because of your goodness and your mercy that endures forever. And so may the peace of God now rest on your life to go serve him with gladness, joy, getting through the difficulties of life, knowing that you are not alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to empower you. Amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.